This morning, we are continuing our midwinter series studying the songs of salvation. A couple months ago, Joe asked if I would be willing to preach in the series, and he let me choose which psalm I wanted to preach, and I immediately chose Psalm 71. Um, This passage, Psalm 71, contains some of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, and I am so excited to get to share this passage with you today. I'm going to read the passage, but before I do, I want to highlight a few things about the author. First thing I want to point out is that we don't know for sure who wrote this psalm. It was probably written by King David. In fact, I think it's probably safe to assume that he did. Um, There are many clues that hint that direction. Um, But at the end of the day, we don't know for sure, and it's not necessary for understanding the meaning of the text. But here's what we do know about the author. Here's what we do know about the man who wrote this. Four things I want you to keep in mind as we read this passage. Number one, he's old. Number two, he's weak and frail. Number three, he's being hunted, threatened, and harassed. And number four, he's overflowing with faith, joy, and purpose. Now, if you look at that list, one of those descriptions should catch your eye. You should pause and think, huh, that's not normal. Here's an old man who's weak and frail. His strength is failing. His body is broken. He's being surrounded by some very serious, very wicked, very deadly, very cruel enemies who are plotting together how to chase him down, seize him, and then kill him in his time of old age and weakness. And this old man, He's not oblivious to the threats that are breathing down his neck. He's keenly aware of what's going on. His head's not in the clouds. He knows he's in crisis. He knows he's in trouble. He knows that they're after him. But he knows some other things too. There are powerful lessons here for us to learn, both for those here who are young and especially for those here who are old. So let's read Psalm 71. This whole psalm is a prayer to God. And the psalmist prays, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Verse 6. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Says verse 7. I have been as a, a portent to many. The word portent there is a difficult word to translate. Um, the basic meaning of it is that people don't know what to do with him. The word itself could have a negative connotation that people see the ruin that he's in and it's almost like he's this bad omen. Um, there's this something ominous surrounding him and so people are, are giving him a lot of space because of the, the severe trials he's going through. But the, the word itself can also mean a wonder. Um, it could be that he's saying, um, I have been as a, a wonder to many. They're actually looking and they're seeing how God has provided for me. Um, we're not sure. It could be one of the two, either a negative or a positive. The basic bottom line is people don't know what to do with him. But he goes on and he says, but you, God, are my strong refuge. Verse 8, he says, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. 
Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us to see ourselves rightly, that we would see you rightly, and that the older we get, the more we would change to become like Jesus. I pray, God, that you would let the good news of Jesus be proclaimed clearly this morning. I pray in his name. Amen. This passage, Psalm 71, is a is a beautiful passage. Describes the beautiful faith of a man reaching the end of life, reaching the end of life, and yet still reaching forward after God. The psalm is a picture of, of faith in action. When faith moves toward God and clings to God, it looks like this. This is a song of lifelong loyalty to a loving God. Lifelong loyalty to a loving God. It's a picture of veteran faith in God that has been battle-tested, battle-tried, proven true again and again and again over a lifetime. This is a psalm we need. I love that here at Tri-County we have um, such a balanced, rich mix of ages. We have babies, we have little kids, we have teens and young adults. We have middle-aged adults, and we have old adults. And we are as blessed to be able to look around the auditorium and see squirming, fast, little bodies as we are to look around and see stiff, larger, slower-moving bodies. We are blessed to have both here. This is a psalm that we all need. The young among us need this psalm to know what direction to point their lives before they become old. And the old among us need this psalm to know how to finish their lives well now that they are old. Here's what I think is the main point of Psalm 71. 
think the main lesson we are to glean from this beautiful passage is the wonderful and, and hopefully deeply encouraging truth that God is faithful to the old and weak. He would never abandon those who trust in him. God is faithful to the old and weak. He will never abandon those who trust in him. You see, this is the, the tension that's in the, the psalm, throughout the psalm. This old man feels his age, his weakness, his aloneness, his vulnerability like never before. He's got no one else to turn to. He's not strong like he used to be. He's in no position to defend himself. All he has is God. And yet his enemies, who in verse 4 are described as wicked and cruel men, are in verses 11 through 12, they're sneering and gloating and charging that God has forsaken him and that there is none to deliver him. Well, is that true? Should this old man be giving in to despair? Should he be believing the dark words that his accusers are, are charging him with? The answer is no, because he knows his God. His God has been faithful to him over a lifetime. Why would God abandon him now? In the midst of this crisis, the old man does what he's always done. He prays. He casts his burdens on the Lord. He cries out for help. Why? Because he's trusted everything to God. He has bet everything on God, and God has come through every time. He hasn't had an easy life. It's been full of trials and hardships and enemies and dangers. But through it all, his God has been faithful and righteous. I just want to say, church family, we need this example of faith. We need this message. Those here who are young, who will one day be old, need this message. And those here who have arrived, you are old. You are in the final season of life. You need this message. We need to hear the message that God is faithful to the old and weak. He will never abandon those who trust in him. I want to teach and apply this passage in two parts this morning. This is a rich passage. I think we have a lot to learn. I think the psalm divides naturally into two sections. The first section, or the first half of the psalm, verses 1 through 13, can be summed up as keep trusting. And the second half of the psalm, verses 14 through 24, can be summed up as keep testifying. So keep trusting, keep testifying. Number one, keep trusting. In your present crisis, remember how God has cared for you in years past and continue trusting everything to him. I want to break this down because there's so much here. For each of these two parts, keep trusting, keep testifying, I'm going to give four more specific applications for both. First thing to notice is here, how the old man keeps trusting God when, when the whole world is against him. We see the old man crying out to God for help. So we are instructed to cry out to God for help. Within this prayer, the old man cries out to God repeatedly for help. Look at verse 1. He says, O Lord, let me never be put to shame. Verse 2, in your righteousness, deliver me, rescue me, incline your ear to me, save me. Verse 4, rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked. Verse 9, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Verse 12, O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. Verse 18, even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. Try counting, I don't know all the trials that everyone here is facing right now. I definitely know some. But I don't think that trusting God means just hunkering down, biting your tongue, and waiting to see what happens. No, trusting God means crying out to him, 
pleading with him, calling on him to help. Let me speak to those here who are young for a moment. If your life, if your ministry that God has given to you, if it is built all around what you can do, your skills, your gifting, your strength, then when you are old and your strength is gone, you are going to despair because what gave you meaning and identity in life will be stripped away from you. But if your ministry and your life is built around what God is doing in your weakness, then when you are old and weaker than ever before, your joy will never stop increasing because you'll keep seeing God work through your weakness. Sometimes I think that I'm trusting God, but I'm really just trusting in myself and my own self-sufficiency. Or I'm primarily trusting in the people around me, whether my friends or my doctors or my family members. May we, like the Apostle Paul, boast all the more gladly of our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. May our first instinct be to cry out to God first and to cry out often. So we learned last week in Psalm 62, trust him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Because there's a reason why this old man keeps crying out to God. There's a reason why he keeps trusting. It's because he believes in God's power to save. Believe God's power to save. Did you notice how this old man repeatedly pictures the sort of help he's looking for from God? He pictures God as his refuge, his rock, his fortress, his hope, his trust. Verse 1, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Verse 3, be to me a rock of refuge. Later in verse 3, you are my rock and my fortress. Verse 5, you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. Verse 7, you are my strong refuge. His body is growing weaker, but his faith is growing stronger. He's relying less on himself and more on God. He may be weak and vulnerable, but even the most feeble, helpless person is safe if he's hidden in a strong and secure fortress. He's weak, but his shelter is not. As we sing, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark or strong wall never failing. You're weak, Christian. Your God is not. Find refuge in him. The old man believes God's power to save. Why is that? Well, it's because he's seen God prove his faithfulness in his life over and over and over again. He remembers well how God has cared for him in the past, and God's past provision fuels his present faith. So Christian, recall God's faithfulness in your life. The old man says, verse 5, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Verse 6, upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Later on in verse 17, he says, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. The old man looks back over his long life and declares that God has always been faithful. He enjoyed the profound blessing of growing up in a home where from his earliest memory he was taught to trust God and he now looks back over an entire lifetime of God's grace and goodness. God has been his only hope, the object of his trust from his youth. One commentator I read put it like this, straining his memory to childhood, the psalmist cannot remember a day without mercy. The old man sees God's loving care of him, extending to even the days before he was born. This was before he even was able to comprehend the love that he was being shown. So may we too recall God's faithfulness in our lives. 
Whether you came to understand and believe the gospel early in life or late in life, marvel at God's goodness to you. God did not start being good to you on the day that you were saved. God has been good to you since the day you were born. Take time to think about God's salvation in your life. Have you been saved? Have you trusted Jesus and been saved from your sin? Have the chains of sin that used to bind you and enslave you been broken and shattered in your life? Have you trusted Jesus and been delivered from God's wrath and judgment and the eternal punishment in hell that you deserved? Have you trusted in Jesus and been set free from Satan and all the demons that plague this world and seek to torment us and destroy us? Have you trusted in Jesus and been promised everlasting life, eternal salvation? Have you trusted in Jesus and been indwelt by the Holy Spirit so that your life is changing? You aren't who you used to be anymore. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Have you trusted in Jesus and been saved from the very fear of death itself because of the power and victory of Christ's resurrection? So that death itself holds no threat to you because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you been saved? If you've not, I call on you right now to repent, to call out to Jesus, turn away from your rebellion against God, turn to Jesus, call on him to save you. In, in some ways, the, the point of this passage, I could have stated it by just quoting a verse from Romans 10, everyone who trusts in him will not be put to shame. And that verse comes right after the call. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. To those of you here who are young, I want to urge you, start trusting Jesus now. Don't put it off till later on in life. Life is going to get harder, not easier, the longer, you, um, the longer you live, the older you get. So learn to trust him now so that you're ready when the trials come later. But if you have experienced God's salvation, then like the old man, never stop praising God, even when life hurts. The old man says, verse 8, My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Again, this man is hurting. He's old. His strength is spent, verse 9. His enemies are many. The danger is real. And yet in the face of it all, his mouth is filled with praises to God. Notably, his mouth is not filled with, complaint, with complaints. He's not grumbling or bitter or resentful. He's not complaining about all his problems. Now, don't get me wrong. The Psalms give us a vast range of emotional expressions. There are times in which, with God's blessing, a Christian may cry out the words of Psalm 13:1 in lament, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? There are times in which, with God's blessing, a Christian may cry out the words of Psalm 88:14, O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? It's because life is hard. And it's often filled with pain. It's often very confusing. And there are often times that everything is so dark that we can't see two feet in front of us. And God invites us to be real and honest and even raw in our prayers. But there's something about this old man that's exemplary. Let's be honest. People, and especially old people, are famous for complaining. But there's something different about this old man what he's choosing to focus on that's provoking a different sort of behavior. He's committed to praising and trusting God no matter what. Look at verse three. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. Verse six, my praise is continually of you. 
Verse 14, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. And that verse 14 leads us to the hinge of the passage, the first in the next section. So Christian, and especially old Christians, keep trusting. Keep trusting God. God is faithful to the old and weak. He will never abandon those who trust in him. You'll never be forsaken. You weren't in the past, not then, not now, not ever. But don't just keep trusting. Keep testifying. Number two, keep testifying. In your old age, raise up those coming after you to trust everything to God and let your proven trust give way to endless praise. I love the second half of this psalm so much. The old man starts his prayer strong, but he finishes stronger. He might be getting old. He might be weak. His body might be failing. Physically, he might not have much to offer, but there's fight in him yet. So brag about your God. The old man musters his spirit and declares, verse 14 again, I will hope continually. There's this, there's this pivot, there's this turning. He's, he's describing everyone that's against him. He's, he's confessing, I'm weak. I don't have the strength to defend myself I used to. God, all I have is you. They're saying, you've forgotten me, but I don't believe it. And here in verse 14, there's this, there's this turn and there's this intensification of his trust. He says, but I will hope continually. I will praise you yet more and more. Verse 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. Verse 16, with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them, I think he's talking about his accusers, I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Verse 19, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? And the rhetorical answer is, nobody Nobody is like our God. He's bragging about his God. He doesn't crumple when his faith is challenged. He can offer a reason for the hope that is in him. Lots of reasons. A lifetime of reasons. He's looking his enemies in the face and declaring his devotion to the sovereign Lord who alone is righteous. It was a delight for me to consider how, how many examples I see of this in our own church. Stories and testimonies that have built my faith. You've all lived hard lives, but you can see, as verse 15 says, you can literally talk all day about God's righteous acts. You've seen it. You've lived it. So brag about it. Old people are famous for talking about the same stuff all the time, right? So boast about God. God's deeds of salvation, verse 15, are more than be counted. So you're never going to run out of new material. But tell and retell the stories of God's grace from days gone by. And as you're doing that, get busy in the lives of the next generation. Now we get to some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. This old man reflects yet again on God's guidance of him throughout his whole life. Verse 17, Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Let me speak again to those here who are old. If you can say that verse, if you can say, oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds, then we need you to speak up loudly in the church. We need you to speak up more loudly in the church. I want to say that again. 
If you're here and you can say that verse as your own testimony, if you can say, from my youth, God has taught me and I still proclaim his wondrous deeds, we need you to speak up more loudly in the church. We need you to speak up for the children and the teens and the young adults in this room and say, I still believe. Because there are a lot of other voices out there right now from people who are deconstructing and walking away from the faith and they are speaking loudly. They're saying, from my youth I was taught, but I no longer believe. Let me tell you all about it. Our children and teens and young adults need to have dozens and dozens of old men and old women in our church they can look up to and learn from. I've heard it said that people aren't asking whether Christianity is true anymore. They just want to know if it works. You are the living, breathing evidence that yes, it works. You've seen God provide over a lifetime of blessings and hardships. To hijack Ronald Reagan's powerful quote on freedom, faith is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be taught, defended, modeled, and passed on for them to do the same with the generations to come. I love this quote from Carol Arnold. She's a woman in her 70s. She contributed to the book Aging with Grace. She observes, whatever situations we find ourselves in as we age, there are nuggets of gold in our past that we can pass on to others. God never wastes a trial, a grief, or a wilderness wandering. We flourish when we give to others the lessons God has taught us. You've lived a long life. Your perspective is valuable because you are old. You have, as James Boyce puts it, seen more of God's faithfulness over more years of life than younger people, however much they may know. You have the experiential knowledge from a lifetime that they can't possibly understand no matter how smart they may be. You are especially well-equipped to help the young. And so to the old men and the old women in this room, there is still work to be done in the silver years of your life. You still have a part to play in the story that God is writing. So I beg you, in your old age, don't check out. Don't coast. Don't give up. Don't just wait it out. Don't waste the end of your life. Press on to the end. Finish your race, your whole race. Finish the fight, the whole fight. You might be retired from your career, but you must never retire from this until you see Jesus press on to make God's glory known to the next generation. And if you want to do more of that here at Tri-County, but you don't know how, come talk to me. I have ideas. And let your mouth be filled with God's praises. Let your heart overflow with song. That's the example of the old man here in Psalm 71. Sing loudly of God's faithfulness and redemption. Look at this old man's priorities when he's in the middle of crazy, stressful circumstances. You remember, people are trying to kill him. Let's not forget about that. For me, I have not experienced people wanting to kill me, but I experienced stressful circumstances of a sort. And for me, my best habits tend to fly out the window when life gets stressful. I have this attitude that when life calms down, I'll focus on those more important things. But instead, this old man's focus in the midst of indescribably stressful circumstances, 
His focus is fixed on praising God and proclaiming to the rising generation all of God's wondrous deeds. And his joy overflows and makes music. The old man says, verse 22, I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. Verse 23, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. He literally has people planning to murder him, and yet he's singing. And he's singing loudly. He's shouting for joy. He knows his God is faithful. He knows that the Holy One of Israel is the God of victory. How much more reason do we have, Tri-County, to sing and to shout? How much more reason do we have to sing praises to God? Because through him our souls have been redeemed. I say this to the young and I say this to the old. Sing, shout. I don't care if you're a good singer. I'm not. But that's not what matters. As Mike Harlan puts it, your tone-deaf singing praise to Jesus is infinitely more beautiful than your silence. Singing isn't for singers. It's for believers. And part of what fueled the old man's joy was his future hope. So set your hope on future glory. The old man prays, verse 20. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. Verse 21, you will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Verse 24, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Look at this old man's perspective toward his trials. He isn't bitter. He's not resentful. He's not confused. In fact, on the contrary, he's not confused as if anything has happened outside of God's control. Look at verse 20. He knows that the troubles and calamities during his long life, they weren't an accident. This is good theology a lot of people miss. Don't miss it right now. He says, you, God, are the one who has made me see these trials. They weren't the things that hit him when God wasn't paying attention. No, they were God's good plan for his life. The trials, the hardships, the troubles, the calamities, the storms of life, those were all God's good plan. God was doing something through them. It wasn't meaningless. It wasn't an accident. This old man understood something of what is revealed much more clearly in Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So set your hope on future glory. That's the hope of this old man. He starts off praying, verse 1, Oh God, let me never be put to shame. Verse 11, his enemies gloat that God has forgotten him. And so he prays, verse 13, that he would be vindicated, that it'd be his enemies, not him, who would one day be put to shame. Then here in verse 24, he speaks in the past tense. He talks as if it's as good as done. He says, my mouth will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. It's as good as done. And Christian, it's the same for you. As Romans 8 puts it, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's as good as done. According to Romans 16, 20, 
the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's as good as done. We set our hope on future glory. As this old man states in verse 20, from the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. Now, whether this old man understood the full significance of those spirit-inspired words or not, we know without a doubt that they speak to the mighty hope of the Christian, that death itself has been defeated, and we who are in Christ will rise again to everlasting life through the victory of Christ's resurrection. Death is coming for us all, but Christian, you don't have to fear death. Paul wrote in Philippians 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. A few verses later, he expresses how much he longs to be home with Jesus. He writes in Philippians 1:23. he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Christians, can we live like this is true? We spend a lot of energy and time trying not to die, and there's wisdom in that. Don't hear the wrong message. But live like this is true. Live like to die is gain. To be with Christ is far better. And if I'm here, it's because God still has work for me to do. He says, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh, this is Philippians 1:24. but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So I just want to say to the old saints in the room, set your hope on future glory. God's never going to let you go. He's faithful to the old and weak. He will never abandon those who trust in him. May you grow more and more excited to see Jesus the older you get. But while you're here, while there's breath in your lungs, there's work for you to do. God is faithful to the old and weak. He will never abandon those who trust in him. Keep trusting. Keep testifying. I've said it probably a hundred times now, but some of you here are old. I've been saying that all morning, and I know some of you haven't liked me saying that. You don't like being called old. It's because in our culture, it sounds like it's an insult, but it's not. At least it shouldn't be. It's a fact, and it's not a bad thing. What you should care far more about is what type of old person are you now. And those of you who are young, you should care about what type of old person you're becoming. Lifelong loyalty to a loving God, especially when it's been a long life, is a beautiful thing. So finish well. D.A. Carson writes, You who are older should be looking out for younger people and saying in effect, Watch me. Come, I'll show you how to have family devotions. Come, I'll show you how to do Bible study. Come on, let me take you through some of the fundamentals of the faith. Come, I'll show you how to pray. Let me show you how to be a Christian husband and father or wife and mother. At a certain point, that older mentor should be saying other things such as, let me show you how to die. Watch me. God, I pray that you would raise up out of this room men and women who are old, who will be passionate about not wasting the end of their life, passionate about trusting you even as their bodies grow weaker, 
even as their abilities decrease, that they will use the breath that you're still putting in their lungs to proclaim your goodness, to testify of the mighty deeds of the Lord, and that they would be intentional and courageous and humble and compassionate in reaching out to those who are coming behind them, to the rising generation. I pray, God, for those who are young, that they would be humble and teachable, that they would reject the culture's lie, that once you're old, you have nothing left to contribute. I pray, God, that they would look on those who are, who are silver and white and gray and bald. I pray, God, that you would give them respect and honor for them. And I pray, God, that you would let them be humble and teachable, that they would glean, that their own faith would be strengthened by story after story after story after story of your deliverance. I pray, God, that you would let this be a church in which young and old care for each other well. We pray, God, that as a church speaks the truth in love to one another, old and young, we would all grow up to maturity in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.